there were 27 new cards revealed last week from the Into the Inklands expansion coming out in a little less than three weeks at time of this recording. Between everything going on last week and going to SCG Con Hartford, I didn't have time to go over every single card. I just picked out the ones that I thought are going to be the most potential to have an impact on the metagame. So given the fact that there are so many cards, let's just dive right into it. Let's start with Voyage. Voyage is a one-cost, inkable action in Ruby that says, simply, move up to two characters of yours to the same location for free. Now, the way I see this card is not being played as early as turn one, obviously. You have to have a location and play to use it. I see it more as like a mid-game gain you essentially potentially up to four ink for the cost of one ink in the mid-game. If you think of something like playing a location down on three um, or even playing, let's say you play a location down on turn four uh, that costs three ink and then you use your one remaining ink to move two of your characters that are already in play with Voyage to that location, say it has a two move cost, you're saving yourself a ton of ink and you're gaining immediate value for characters that need to be at a location. I feel like this is a premium way of moving characters to a location, especially when the move cost is high. Something like uh, the Sorcerer's Tower that we've seen or uh, the, the Tiana location that we're going to talk about in a little bit. Anything that has a super high move cost, this is going to save you a ton of ink. Uh, I do think this is going to be a very important part of location decks. Obviously, we need to see more payoffs for... Uh, for being at a location, both from a character perspective and from, from the location perspective. But assuming we have those payoffs, I think Voyage is going to be very key in those decks. And the fact that it's inkable means that even if you don't have a location in play, you can always still use it as ink. Uh, so I just think this is going to be a very powerful card and and a really a way to really save yourself on those ink costs. Curse Mofer, Merfolk is a one-cost emerald character uh, that has zero strength, one willpower, two lore, and has the ability Poor Souls. Whenever this character is challenged, each opponent chooses and discards a card. So this is basically a one-cost uninkable Flynn Rider, um, who is uh, the one-two uncommon, who sees a lot of play uh, in most Emerald decks. The thing I like about Curse Mofrog is, obviously, it's another one-cost uninkable two-lore character uh, that Emerald did not have. We only had Leo in Amber and Maleficent in Amethyst before. But it's the fact that, you know, you don't really care quote-unquote, that, that the Curse Morfrog actually gets banished in a challenge because your opponent's losing a card of their hand when they do that. Obviously, as a 0-1, it's not going to take anything else down with it, but at the same time, they are going to lose a card from hand. So essentially, you are taking a card down with it. Much better of a payoff than than a 1-1, one, one in, my, in my opinion. Like if, you, if, if any one of the other two lore characters is out there, they're obviously just going to be taken out by anything else as well. And if it doesn't have one willpower you're not trading anything for it this does take a card out of your opponent's hand uh, when they go to challenge it of course it's it's vulnerable to any type of removal out of hand it's vulnerable to any type of aoe or board wipe type removal but in a challenge this is going to trade very favorably with other cards the one thing i do want to point out about all these reveals that i'm going to talk about today if you go to our facebook page we give full credit to a lot of the content creators that uh that revealed these cards I'm not going to go over all of them today, but but I do want to thank the entire content creator community for going over a lot of these. Um, and like I said, all the credit will be in the description below, and it'll be on our Facebook page. Tiana's Palace Jazz Restaurant. It's a three-cost uninkable, uh, our first that we uninkable location that we've seen, that has eight willpower, one lore, and a two-move cost. 
and it has an ability on it called Night Out. Characters can't be challenged while here. Now, this is obviously extremely powerful, um, and it better be for three on Inkable and two to move to. Um, I believe, like, this basically acts in a way like an eight willpower bodyguard with one lore. So what this is doing at the same time is uh, protecting your characters. It is also gaining you passive lore as the game goes on. Uh, to me, this is extremely powerful. I, I can see this card being dropped on turn three in like a lot of aggressive decks. And then on turn four, you move your characters there so they cannot be challenged. They have to then challenge Tiana's Palace uh, first. But they're basically spending, I would assume, multiple turns to take out a, what is essentially an eight strength, I'm sorry, an eight willpower uh, location while your characters that are there hanging out are safe. You can also drop it on turn four and then play Voyage, as I mentioned earlier, to move two characters there, saving yourself uh, four ink. I mean, at the cost of one to play Voyage, then you have two characters that are there right away that can't be challenged. So your opponent's kind of left with a situation where they basically have to challenge this uh, eight eight willpower location, or they can't get at your characters, whether they're exerted or not. This, to me, is an extremely powerful payoff for moving characters to a location when they really can't be touched by your opponent's challengers. And I really see where, even though it's three uninkable and two to move to, anything that can cheat that move cost is going to get a huge benefit for this. I do think this is going to be very powerful in aggressive decks, and I do think this is one of the locations that I've seen so far that has a real reason for you to move your characters there. Rise of the Titans is a three-cost action in steel that simply says banish chosen location or item. This is a very subtle card. I mean, I can see it basically being like a general two of in most steel decks. We had the card break out of the out of the first chapter that never saw any play because it wasn't attached to a character. So essentially what you're getting here is banishing two types of difficult to deal with uh, permanents that are in play, locations or items, giving you that flexibility. The fact that it's inkable means that you you really don't lose anything by playing it. It basically, you know, if you draw it, you can always just play it as ink. It obviously like as it might not be the greatest late game top deck if your opponent's not playing a location or an item. But if they are playing either of those, it really gives you a lot of flexibility in how to deal with them without even having to play even characters that have that into play. Obviously, cards like Benja and Beast Hardheaded still see a lot of play, but I mean, realistically, you're a lot of times simply just playing them for their lore if your opponent doesn't have any items in play to take care of. This just gives you more flexibility, and if locations do become very popular in the metagame, this is something you're going to need to deal with them unless you're somehow able to, to take them out through, through various damaging cards. So I see this as almost like a pre-sideboarded card that you're going to play in your decks, and its flexibility and ink ability really give it some play. Scrooge's Top Hat is a two-cost uninkable uh, item with the ability business expertise you exert it and you pay one less of the next item you play this turn i also have on the screen bell's house maurice's workshop which is a one cost location with two move cost and six willpower that has the ability laboratory if you have a character here you pay one less to play items because i think these cards are very similar bell's house was actually revealed first and i thought it was extremely powerful and gonna see a lot of play in item decks until scourge's top hat came out Scrooge's Top Hat essentially being a lantern for items in item decks just adds a lot of redundancy to it. I mean, you're basically having a cheap item that also allows you to play other items. And the fact that there's a lot of one-cost items you want to play, like um, Shield of Virtue or Popsicle, as soon as you play this means you're actually probably not losing a whole lot of tempo by playing it because the next turn you're able to play something that's even larger than it and not really lose that on the tempo playing it that turn. Bell's House is similar 
you have to pay a one-time cost to move a character there, but as long as they stay there, the rest of the game, all your uh, items will cost one less, which you get a lot of cumulative effect as the game goes on. Uh, the issue is that two move costs and the one original setup cost and the fact that the location does not have any lure. I just feel like Scrooge's Top Hat kind of replaced Bell's House once I started to see it because you are going to have to play item larger cost items in your deck to make full use out of Bell's House. If there are other characters that gain additional benefits that help out items when they move to a location, Bell's House might see more play. But to me, in any in any general item deck that's using things like Hiram Flabbersham, um, probably that exclusively, or Tamatoa, I guess, um, you're going to want to play Scrooge's Top Hat if you have a, a, a lot of items in your deck, especially ones that are cheap. Because of the redundancy factor, because you want to get out something uh, even more expensive while you're playing this. Time will tell if we actually need this card or if you gain enough ink overall, but I feel like out of the two of them, Scrooge's Top Hat is probably going to see more play. What did you guys think about last week? Are you are you getting excited for Into the Ink Lands? I really feel like locations are going to add a lot to the metagame. Uh, I, I feel like they're it's going to bring a whole new, fresh life into it. I'm seeing a lot of cards that I feel like are going to see a lot of play. A lot of cards are going to help out a lot of decks from an aggressive perspective, from a discard perspective, overall in the set. I'm going to go, like, I'm going into a deeper dive into 12 cards uh, this week. But if you feel like I missed anything, please tell me in the comments below. And if you like these type of weekly updates, what's going on into the ink lands, I anticipate that over the next two weeks, the entire set will be spoiled. You're probably going to see a lot more of me. So if you want to continue to see those videos, please smash that like button so I know that you like these types of videos. And if you haven't already subscribed and you want to see more of this, please hit that subscribe button. There were two Pluto cards that were spoiled, and I'm very excited by them. The first one is the smaller one. The one cost, uninkable, zero strength, two willpower, one lore with the ability good dog. You exert this and you pay one less for the next character you play this turn. So this Pluto is essentially a lantern that costs only one, is a character, and has one lore. This is extremely powerful. I know he's obviously very easy to deal with out of hand. He obviously gets hurt by grab your swords. He obviously gets hurt by but the storm rage on, uh, strength of a raging fire, etc. A stiff breeze, not as bad as you know something like the zero one or even a 1-1 one, one, like Morph, as I talked about in the past. But a 0-2 isn't going to have a lot of staying power anyway. But what he does allow you to do is play up to three cost characters as soon as turn two, which means you can basically do things like substitute his ability for something like Doc, for example, who then has a more staying power for basically doing the same exact thing without having to exert. What I like about Pluto is that he's still able to gain lore if you don't have anything that you want to do with him in terms of playing a character that's more that, that's more efficient. He obviously is easier to deal with than something like Lantern, but he's cheaper to get into play. Uh, and he, like I said, and he actually advances your win condition. He's never really a dead card. He may just not be the best card to play, but I can't imagine that there's a lot of cards you're going to play on turn one that are more powerful. Because of the rules with being able to pay shift costs and reduce them for, from cards like Pluto, I see this seeing a lot of play. As a matter of fact, his shiftable character, his Floodborne character on the right-hand side, he's a seven-cost inkable Three strength, eight willpower with shift five that has bodyguard, two lore, and the ability guard dog at the start of your turn and remove up to three damage from this character. The other thing I really like about this is you can use Pluto basically on turn four to, to floodborne out himself on top of it. You'll be exerted, but you're a bodyguard, and that's the that's the stance that you want to come into anyway. So essentially, even though the, the bigger Pluto on the right has shift five. In reality, of the only two Plutos we've seen so far, where you're probably going to want to shift onto the smaller one, he really honestly has shift four, 
because you're going to want to use the Pluto on the left to play out the one on the right and come into play exert. Obviously, you could challenge right away. You could gain lore right away. That's fine. But also coming into play exerted and being a bodyguard gives you play right away. With eight willpower and the ability to essentially remove up to three damage at the start of each turn, I know there's payoffs with like Grand Pabby and the Floodborne uh, Rapunzel and stuff, but I don't see that really being that much of a factor. I think just being a giant body, you get into play pretty fast with uh, the Pluto on the, on the left is really where he's going to shine. Um, I also forgot to mention that obviously the Pluto on the left is very good with Stitch Rockstar and decks like that. You're going to get out Stitch Rockstar even faster than you would before because the the smaller stitch is going to come out probably then at that point on turn two like it's similar to the lantern and you just get the 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 floodborne stitch into play as early as turn three like you would have in the past with lantern but this also gives you a card that you can draw later when stitch rockstar is in play to immediately start drawing cards i think both these cards are very good and i can't wait to play them i am obviously a huge dog fan so i am looking forward to, to playing with pluto and my decks going the boss is on a roll is a three cost inkable song in Amethyst, that says, look at the top five cards of your deck, put any number of them on the top or bottom of your deck in any order, and gain one lore. I want to say up front that I think this card is being a little overrated in terms of its what its potential is in Amethyst control decks. I don't see this as a control deck card. I see this as a one of two type of deck cards. It's very good in combo-based decks. It's very good in, and and even though we don't have any true combo decks that I, you know, yet in Lorcana, this will be a key centerpiece in any of them if they involve Amethyst. Because what this allows you to do is dig up to five cards deep and get exactly what you need. So in any type of deck, even like a mini combo deck, like location type decks, for example, if you need a certain card to be in play that's within your deck, and one of the colors is obviously Amethyst, this is going to help you get to it faster. No other card in the game allows you to dig this deep and find the card and put it on top. It doesn't allow you to actually draw the card, but it allows you to set up your draw to draw it. And there's plenty of cards like Sorcerer's Hat and things like that that allow you to draw that card, and you'll know exactly what it is. I, and the other deck I see this seeing play in is an aggressive deck. Um, this can be played as early as turn two, for example, with Cinderella, uh, Ballroom Sensation, where you can eventually set up your the, the rest of your turns from then on out. You can put any cards you don't need that are redundant on the bottom and set up the top cards that you need to make the perfect curve for any aggressive deck over the next few turns. Um, and you gain one more uh, as a result of it. So it's perfect for an aggressive deck. I know a lot of people are talking about how powerful this would be in a control deck. I just don't see it because it doesn't actually replace itself and draw you a card. I can't imagine you're actually going to want to sing with anybody um, from a control deck perspective when you have things like friends on the other side that you could be singing instead. Um, it is a powerful effect, but you definitely at that point would need something else to immediately draw the card. So even though it does dig you deep, I think that's much better to, as a setup piece in an aggressive deck or obviously in a combo deck than I do in any typical Amethyst control. Baboom. It's a two cost inkable action that says deal two damage to chosen character or location. This is very similar to the uh, the Zeus song that we saw. I think it was maybe a week or two ago. That was four cost uninkable deal five to a character or location. This is much cheaper and much more efficient. Uh, two damage for two that's inkable is just probably would probably just see play anyway to chosen character. But the fact that it could do a character or a location means this is probably an auto include to any deck that wanted to play Smash, any deck that wanted to play uh, Fire the Cannons, etc. We know that three willpower has become the 
the new two wheel power. So a lot of characters that you see in play nowadays in the metagame actually have three wheel power to get get around things like grab your sword, etc. So this kind of like does play into that a little bit, where two damage is probably just not going to be enough. But the flexibility that you can do to adapt to a character or a location. I think it means that this is going to see play in some way, shape, or form in all steel decks going forward because it's just too flexible to ignore. The map of Treasure Planet is a three-cost inkable item in steel that has two abilities. The first one is Key to the Portal. You may pay one less for the next location you play this turn. And the second one is Show the Way. You pay one less to move your characters to a location. We here at the Forbidden Mountain actually got to got to pre-reveal this card to the, to the community uh, in this video, which I'll put up in the corner over here. Uh, I had a lot to say about it there, so I suggest you check out that video. But I do think the fact that you can use this card immediately and it gives you the one the one less to move your characters to a location is a static ability, whether it's exerted or not, means that this item will gain use immediately. So I do think this will see play in location-based decks. Check out our video there if you want to get more of an in-depth about how we felt about this card. What you see on the screen now is everything else that was, that was revealed this week. Um... I'm not going to go into it too much. There's a ton of cards on there. There's there's 16 cards that are on here. I just don't think a lot of these cards are actually good enough to see play is mostly the issue. Um, they may see fringe play depending on the metagame. Uh, they may just not be good enough. You know, to, both Titans are on the screen. If there's some kind of a Titan payoff uh, in this set or in the future, you may see that. There's a villain payoff, but I don't think it's good enough, for et cetera. If you want to hear my opinions about why I don't think these cards are as good as the ones I've already spoiled, please leave a comment below and we'll talk about it then. But in general, um, I think a lot of the rest of the cards that were spoiled this week were basically just whether they were limited-based cards, whether they were just filling out the set, etc. cetera. Um, not everything can be an all-star, and I think a lot of these cards have great art, and I think a lot of these cards are, are fun, but I don't think they're going to see a lot of competitive. As I was recording this, there were literally three cards that came out. So don't worry. I'm going to start talking about them either later this week if we get too many cards revealed, or I'll talk about them next week. But in case you haven't seen them yet, there's Dive Bomb, Airfoil, and Joshua Sweet that were all revealed today, which is Monday, February 5th. Uh, and I'll definitely talk about them next time. That was a ton of cards. I picked out the ones that I thought that were going to see the most play in the metagame, the most chance of seeing play in the metagame. Like I said, on some of those ones that, that, that when I had the splash on the screen, obviously if there's certain combos that come up with some of those cards, you're going to see those play as well. But in general, I feel like we're starting to see a little bit of the of the the set take place. I still think there's a ton that we don't know about locations. There's a ton that we don't know about moving to those locations. And there's a lot of the set yet to be revealed. I think as of today, there's probably, what, like 70 to 75 out of 204 cards. I mean, we're not even halfway done. And we have less than three weeks. So keep your eyes peeled, especially to our socials. We try to post every single card that we see on there, whether it's on our Facebook page, uh, which if you're not a member of, please, I, I highly suggest you uh, you you join. Uh, the link is in the description below. We post them all on our Discord, which is also in the link below. And uh, we also try to post as many as we can on the community page here uh, on on YouTube. So so take a look there as well. You're never gonna miss it. You're never gonna miss a reveal if you're following the Forbidden Mountain. So hit that subscribe button if you haven't already. And again, like I asked, please hit that like button if you like this type of content, and I'll see you next time.